Hello, everybody out there on the internet. Welcome to another episode of the Party of Two podcast, a theme park podcast where we talk about the theming of parks. I'm one of your hosts, the internet's Mark Bidonica. <laughs> and I'm your other host, the internet's Andrea Donica. Theming, the- right? Theming. Like, that's essentially all that we're going to be talking about today. Yes. Since we've come back from our season break, it's just been like beyond blue sky. But this is an episode that you've been wanting to do for a long time. Oh my gosh. I have been amped. I've always put it on the docket. And every time we would be leading up to do it, something would happen. Yeah. But I I finally realized why. Um, something in the universe came to me. Uh, where I found out more information of more concepts relating to Atlantis and these different companies, these different uh, theme parks and their their creative people uh, were trying to do similar things at the same time. And much like the story of Atlantis, which is very engaging and thought-provoking and mysterious and, and intriguing. And, and adventure. So much adventure. Uh, very very nice. Thank very you. nice. Um, people are still fascinated by it. Like, this goes all the way back to Plato. Like, th- this is a timeless story and concept that people are still obsessed over. And Uh, I would say arguably that not a lot of people in trying to retell it have gotten right. Exactly. And ironically, just as intriguing as the original concept is and everyone's different takes on it, um, just as intriguing is all of the uh, BS and craziness that goes on behind the scenes of people trying to create these stories uh, in a physical, tangible way in theme parks. And uh, I'm very excited to really do a deep dive I thought you were going to just say dive in, and I'm excited to dive in. (laughs) Um, But if you're joining us on the podcast feed, first of all, thank you. Uh, you can follow along with us live at Mark B. Donica on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Mark B. Donica. Somehow I always get that wrong in terms of just How? my Oh, it's your pacing. name. I, but in terms of the presentation of it, it's just like, that's the channel, but oh. it's the website, blah, blah, blah. Okay. But uh, thank you to everybody who's been joining us live. Yes. Make sure to leave comments. We will address them as necessary when when if certain things come up but we appreciate you joining us live and if you want to join us live head on over to twitch.tv slash mark leave us a subscription uh, or follow us and if you like us leave us a subscription yeah. it'll help support the show moving forward but um, for for now how do you want to start um we have to start at the beginning i think so Disney is going to be where we really start the story, but I will say as a preface to that, that even before Disneyland, um, a, a submarine or, or, a, uh, or, or just an, ex- an exploration of the ocean depths in Atlantis goes back in theme park history from like the very beginning, or I should say amusement parks. Disneyland was really the first true theme park or maybe Efteling. Efteling was probably the first one. But this a Europe. Which will will yeah, it, it's a Europe thing. Yeah. And and we'll we'll get to Efteling one of these days. Like physically. Hopefully. Yeah. Um but when Disneyland first opened, 
Um, Tomorrowland was the place that needed the most help. It was the one thing that really wasn't up to Walt Disney's original ideas. He had really grand things, but he had already run out of so much money. I mean, he, he went bankrupt trying to open this park, and he and his brother Roy were really... They they went to a lot of different people asking for backers and for funding. Um, CBS was one of the first companies that they went to, and they said, no, an amusement park is too risky. You know, people aren't going to be so interested in that. Goodbye. Luckily, they hooked up with ABC. All's well and good. Recently... Uh, Disney had released the movie 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. It was a a huge success, um, very innovative for its time. Uh, People loved it, and it wasn't able to be ready exactly on opening day, but within a few weeks in Tomorrowland, there was actually an exhibit for people to walk through the sets and see and all costumes. of the and costumes and props, and people like went bananas over it. People loved it. And that, I think, like th- that coming out recently, I mean, if, if people knew, if people were around at that time, they would know. But that is very funny to me in the sense of... These days, if you see like sets and props and costumes from a movie as an attraction, people go, "Ah, that must have been like a last minute thing." And but all of that is a tradition that goes back to the beginning of Disneyland. Yeah, (laughs) like it's one. Yeah, it's kind of a space filler, but two. Yeah, it's a space filler. And it's cool. And it, it's proved successful since the beginning of Disneyland. Like That's people silly. people want to see that stuff. And I mean, they had some they had some really cool visu- visuals and this was just the beginning because from Walt's original ideas of what Tomorrowland was going to be, he wanted to have an underwater ride that was going to take place in Tomorrowland. They just didn't have the budget to do it. Right after Disneyland opened, of course, there were a lot of immediate uh, copycats that were springing up around the country of the USA. And uh, one of those companies that decided to go all in was CBS, who had said no to Walt and Roy, um, called Pacific Ocean Park. And besides doing a bunch of small copycat little rides um, to try and one up Walt, they actually got a, a real naval submarine that had just come back from its voyage, parked it there for people to fully explore the inside of this incensed Walt. Like he, he, it was bad enough that they had already copied some of his other rides and, and set up. But the fact that, they were going to try to one-up him. That's just not something that he was going to take sitting down. He wanted to be the best at everything. So he said, all right, F that. Originally, they were talking about doing uh, glass-bottom boats for for a, a type of underwater ride and considering doing real fish. Um. With the submarine being parked there, he said, nah, I'm going to make my own submarine fleet. He made the eighth largest submarine fleet at the time in the entire world. 
commissioned specifically for his park, which he loved to advertise to dignitaries that would come to visit. And the submarine voyage was born at Disneyland in 1959. Really, really fantastic ride. Um, One of your favorites. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I'm i so fond of this thing. Absolutely obsessed. Um, I, I've always been fascinated with the ocean and, and sea life, but also uh, the fantastical stories that come from it. And the submarine voyage really was like the perfect uh, embodiment of all of that. You saw mermaids in an, in an abandoned Atlant- Ad- Atlantis. Remember to breathe. <laughs> right. Atlantis ruins, um, sunken ships, treasure, a silly sea serpent. It was a good placement in the park, too, because it was on the border of Fantasyland and Tomorrowland. So it was that melding of ideas between the two. It was very, uh, the entire placement and development of it was so smart. It it was perfection. (laughs) And the marketing. I mean, there's there's a very uh, infamous piece of marketing that uh, the subs were known for, which was the live mermaids that would sort of beckon uh, young, young men into. Uh, it, well, uh, well, they were beckoning them to get on the ride. Yes. However, young men were so amorous that they would actually dive into the lagoon to try to get to these uh, performers. Which is terrifying by today's standards. <laughs> yes. Like, th- think of the ride is in motion. So here's this idiot kid thinking, all right, I've got to time this between <laughs> the submarines going out so that I can swim over there and make it in time. I can imagine the mermaids on the on the the pad or or wherever they were on the landing wherever they were just being like that kid's been over there and like staring at us for a very long time. He <laughs> looks like no, he's he's I got to go. And they <laughs> just like they not paid enough for this. It, it definitely not. Well, n- never enough. Never enough. Um yeah, interestingly enough, too, these performers, they would actually, for their auditions, I think they only lasted about two summers, I think, just because of all of the problems that came up naturally. Um, but they would actually uh, put on the the swimming uh, fin tails on uh, at the Disneyland Hotel in the swimming pool over there, and that's where they would audition. Fun little tidbit. Um The ride had incredible animatronics. Um, Some of the special effects would be considered kind of hokey today. Uh, You know, there were certain fish and and little pieces that were just literally stuck onto rock work. But it was really cool. It, It was really, really cool. And if it had been constantly updated with with special effects and and there were suggestions for it over the years i think it would have lasted longer than it did uh though though i'm kind of starting to get a little ahead of myself um walt of course passed away uh in 1966 and suddenly the entire company was kind of in scrambles you know, suddenly you have a lot of very corporate people starting to run things as time goes on. And finally, uh, though I, you know what, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit. I'm going to go to the 1970s now. 
because over in Walt Disney World, um, the subs, you know, at Disneyland were so popular, so popular. And they're like, you know what? We, we have to make another submarine ride. But at that point, they felt that it wasn't proper for the submarines to be in Tomorrowland even though realistically, even today, we still know more about outer space than we do our own oceans, which I feel is something that really should be explored and and considered for the future and for the future of this planet. They were like, you know what? We've got a lot of fantastical elements here. Let's just put it straight in fantasy land. And it it took up a lot of real estate for for the park. Um, They went and leaned in heavier to 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. There were elements of that over in Submarine Voyage, but they went really much more deeply and called the ride 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah, like, for all intents and purposes, it was a 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea dark ride. Like, for... for eh, it's, it's easy. Like, all of the subs looked a lot more like the Nautilus, and a lot of the effects were... And, and like, scenes more so mimicked the film than or the story eh, the film than uh, some just a, a regular random submarine voyage this is true but you still also had the mermaids and the silly sea serpent which aren't really from Twenty Thousand leagues but you know still some fun placeholders that people still wanted to enjoy so that ride Crazy popular as well. So, so popular. Um, the 90s hits, and Michael Eisner is in charge. And something that we'll dive again into in another podcast is probably um, the fact that Euro Disney did not make the kind of money that the Disney company was expecting it to. It, it bombed pretty bad uh, to the fact and points that Disney was $3 billion in debt, and they needed to come up with that money fast. There was talks that they would potentially have to close the park very early on. Um, Michael Eisner was going through a lot. There, there was a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes, and there was this frantic sort of damage control that happened. Whereas before there was all of this momentum to put all of this brand new stuff into the parks and anytime anything was replaced, it needed to have a grander replacement uh, there. So no one really questioned when they would do that. Suddenly it was like, how can we save money? Any way we can save money, anywhere we can cut, let's do it. Which is not a safe or smart thing to do. But that's what they were doing. And on top of that, Michael Eisner moved a bunch of his executives around. So suddenly, the person that was in charge of the Disney store, uh, Paul Pressler. Paul Pressler. Oh, a name that any Disneyland major fan truly hates that name. Um, He became the president of Disneyland. And he made a series of horrible disastrous decisions uh that really hurt the park um if if anybody if anybody had gone to tomorrowland in like uh, the bronzing the bronzing of disneyland's 
Tomorrowland back in the like in the nineties to early two thousands to where they started to actually repair it, even though it's still like the damage is still very much been done, and it's hard. Yeah. It will be hard to undo it, especially now given the the current lo- like how much money Disney Parks has at their fingertips to like fix things versus make completely new things. That whole bronzing gold Da Vinci sketchbook sort of a look, that's Paul Pressler's fault. And realistically, if you take a step back and look at everything that happened with the Disney parks as a whole, um, every bad decision, every poor execution since that time, um, there has only been a focus to to try to fix that since then. Like it, it, it did so much damage. Uh, and and I, I can only scratch the surface right now because we have a lot to talk about. But um, on Paul Pressler's hit list was the submarine voyage. It was expensive to maintain. Um, they would regularly send divers pretty much every single night to dive into the lagoon, check the mechanics on the different animatronics, repaint things like it. And, and there was a leak on top of everything else. Uh, so the, this lagoon, I think it had to have like 8 million gallons of water. I, I think that was the number that I read. Um, really quite a bit. So on top of that, having a leak and having to replace that, not great. So ready, ready to close it. And in the middle of all of this, uh, they had to first hold off because New Tomorrowland was about to open. Uh, and Imagineering was like, crap, we can't, we can't do this. Because only a few years before, 20,000 leagues had also been closed down without any sort of replacement. And at that point, they were paranoid that the same thing was going to happen to Disneyland's. In fact, with 20,000 Leagues, it was really unfortunate because uh, operations over at Magic Kingdom actually sabotaged the ride. At the time, Michael Ovitz, uh, who had a very short tenure with the Disney company, actually came out to Magic Kingdom to check on the status of the park and specifically the ride because it had just been closed down and it it needed some maintenance, but it didn't need the amount of maintenance that uh, the park ride operators were trying to convince him that it needed. They actually dumped buckets of water into the oldest ricketyest sub that they could find. Um, they sabotaged the special effects. And uh, they even made him wait a day because they were like, oh, you know what? Uh, we we need to prepare for you in the morning. It, it's not ready. So like they really prepped <laughs> this to, and, and they called it slipping a Mickey to him. However, that's a terrible expression. It's a very terrible expression. But really, what what these operations people did is they slipped a Mickey to all of these fans of people that really loved this ride, and this ride was just shut down without any sort of replacement. Because naturally, this poor man, Michael Ovitz goes into that submarine and thinks that this sub is going to drown, thinks that 
all of these things are, are so outdated that they can't be possibly fixed. And he's like, shut it down, shut it down. So there was already a lot of drama happening. And there was already a bunch of other rides that had been successively shut down without any sort of replacement. And all sorts of... It, it was a lot. It was a lot. So the subs at Disneyland suddenly became a major point of contention. And Imagineering was like, there is no way we can let these subs be closed without any sort of replacement. The, this is just not possible. In fact, Marty Scalar, president of Imagineering at the time, threatened to lay out his body on Harbor Boulevard if the ride was going to be shut without a replacement. Thankfully, someone at Imagineering was able to call up somebody at Disney Animation. Hey, do you have anything in the works? Anything related to the ocean at all? Anything in that ballpark? Hey, we're making a movie about Atlantis. Oh my god, that's perfect because there's already an Atlantis set in this ride. We can do like... A good overlay, we can save a bit of money, we can do these cool special effects, we can have this Leviathan uh, robot ship that comes at you and we're going to shake the ship around uh, with, with water cannons underneath the subs. It's going to be great. They had incredible concepts for this and it would have been something fun. And realistically, the only way that they could get any sort of budget approved at this point was if it had an intellectual property tie-in. It seems to be an ongoing theme up until this day. And I think most people know where this go this story goes whether you're you know the parks or not. Basing any sort of a project on the success of Atlantis the Lost Empire that's that's if we're talking about all-time bonehead plays, that's a bonehead play. Now, I, I'm somebody that hasn't, that hadn't seen Atlantis: The Lost Empire up until this year. Like, I, within the last calendar year, was when it was finally like, all right, it's we have Disney Plus. Am I didn't know we watched it on Netflix. That's I right. So it did. was it's it, it was after we moved, but watching Atlantis for the first time, and just it. It's a mess. Like, there are some really cool parts to it, and there's some great ideas to it. But similarly to when we got out of The Good Dinosaur, and we know that that was in development hell. There's clear uh, meddling. Yeah, you can look and go, oh, that was okay. Yeah, I can see where they... Why didn't they? Oh, that's probably a cutscene. Blah, 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 blah. Now, seeing the, the various ideas for what they could have implemented in a theme park attraction that would have probably had it would have been the water world effect where a theme park attraction could have outlived outperformed and provided a much better legacy to a property than the actual property that it was based on absolutely absolutely like reading the the whole story treatment uh, bullet by bullet of what they were planning. In fact, the original full blue sky plans was that it was going to start as one ride with the subs, and then you were going to get off of the subs and then explore Atlantis. Hmm. 
on top of all of that. We in, in researching this, we saw we found just like essentially a picture roll of any sort of Atlantis representation in the various parks. And we saw so interesting, Milo and Keita face characters. And I don't even it was Mole and another one, the one who was obsessed with the dynamite that kind of sounds like Strong Bad. Um Guido Sarducci. Um he th- they were plastic heads despite having like real like proportions they weren't cartoony proportions or in like weird suits or anything they were people and they had plastic heads and it was terrifying but with that the main point from that was there looked to be constructed sets of like the ruins of atlantis and they stuck it in front of the submarine lagoon yeah what yeah. a bloody idea that was. Yeah. And, and what was essentially if the place that ended up becoming the Winnie the Pooh uh play area, right? Yes. Yeah. So over at Walt Disney World, after years and years and years of them not doing anything, finally they said, Hey, we're going to pave over this uh, pave paradise and put up a a playing, Part, lot. A, a playing lot for kids. Um, thankfully, that's now been replaced by an actual ride, The Little Mermaid, Voyage of the Little Mermaid, um, over in Walt Disney World's Fantasyland at Magic Kingdom. Uh, over at Disneyland, while drama is going back and forth, um, Literally, it was the week before New Tomorrowland was going to open. So all of these Disneyland uh, park operations heads were in meetings back to back to back. Imagineering uh, decided to kind of stage their own revolt. They, uh, they'd been testing things over at the subs. They put up a big sign that said uh, basically that they were... Uh, testing for uh, Atlantis uh, expeditions. Yeah, it was Atlantis Atlantis expeditions. Uh, Imagineering preparation base it was just a simple. That's something that takes uh, it's a couple days to get a banner like that taken care of. But there was some thought put into it. It wasn't just like a piece of paper on a door. No, and basically they put that up bright and early in the morning. It took hours and hours for park operations to notice that it was there uh, late into the afternoon, at which point they freaking lost their minds because these people <laughs> did not want the subs to come back at all. This, this is something that you have to understand. Like, Sadly, these people, Paul Pressler and people that were running the parks, they were not, they didn't care. They didn't want to spend the time to maintain it. They didn't care that people loved this ride. They did not want to deal with it. And so they ordered for it to be taken down. But after that was taken down, Imagineering hoisted a flag that was kind of a, uh, a logo for the ride, if you will, which had uh, the Atlantis A with a trident uh, crossing for the uh, cross for the A, and that lasted all the way until the submarine voyage actually closed, 
uh, because they held off until after New Tomorrowland opened and September rolled around. Yeah, they didn't want they didn't want it to be new and then walls go up. And then walls are up in the new thing. You're like, what's new? What's so new about this if you're still building stuff? Well, they also couldn't afford to have the subs closed while they had pretty much all of Tomorrowland closed mm-hmm. for everything. And, you know, the, the irony with New Tomorrowland was that a- any sort of changes to the parks were to save costs, maintenance costs, updating costs. And guess what Rocket Rods did? <laughs> it became a maintenance nightmare. And that's another thing we'll have to talk about Start another for a day. Different day. But that being said, and this kind of being in the late 90s, whatever, gotta backtrack again and jump over to a completely different group of creatives. SeaWorld, of all people, who had never done any sort of really true theming they they did like a they did one sort of simulator ride which was very clearly a a copycat of star tours and that's not what they wanted to be recognized as um they'd been merged into bush gardens there was all of this talk about doing big changes to these parks they wanted to do something epic they wanted to do something that was really going to engage audiences. And so they pulled people that would visit. And what sort of stories were they most interested in seeing that were ocean and water related? Okay, I was going to say, did they give them ocean and water related as a, as a thing? Or was it just like, what do you want? And they're like, Atlantis. I mean, I, like- I don't know if it was multiple choice or, or if they were just letting them talk. But at the same time, what? How many, like, major, like, there's, okay, so, so there are pirate stories, there could be sea shanties that tell stories, L- there's the, the, I guess there's the different pantheons of gods have different sea-based, okay, I was going to say how many water tales actually are there, but it's, it's okay. It's, it's okay. Amount. There's a fair amount. Well, and Poseidon is intrinsic, intrinsically connected to Atlantis. That is considered his domain. Um, Depending on which pantheon you subscribe to. Sure. And there are so many. And the story of Atlantis, too, has uh, been changed time and time again. In fact, there, there are arguments between scholars as to one group of thoughts say that Atlantis was just uh, an imaginary thing that Plato made up to... Uh, talk about the (laughs) (laughs) no but to talk about the perfect city which Mm -hmm. athens was supposed to be yeah and that athens and atlantis uh came into a major fight and that atlantis was doing everything wrong everything um that you don't want to have in um in a modern society with government and, and all of that um, and that basically Atlantis fell out of favor with the gods. And so they struck it down. They struck it down and it went down to the bottom of the ocean and Athens was claimed the victor. That, that's one school of thought. Um, but yeah, other people are saying, no, this was a real place and something really did happen. And so people... We'll look for it. Other people are like, this, that's just like a myth. Messy. 
Yeah, but you know, it, it it's interesting, right? It, it's exciting. Yeah, it's an exciting it's an exciting story. And when SeaWorld, like I don't we don't we don't talk, like talking about SeaWorld too much on the show just because of the their terrible history and and how they treat their animals and things of that nature. We don't like we we went to together to SeaWorld once, but I don't know how many times you had gone before then. Maybe twice when okay. I was really small, and and so that I had a seagull steal a burger out of my hands. That was <laughs> a trauma. That was a traumatizing yeah, experience. Dude. Thankfully, um, the the person at the food stand actually watched it happen. I was like five, and they literally ran up to me and replaced the burger before I could cry for burger. So with SeaWorld, SeaWorld deciding to make something in and around Atlantis. That was that was an interesting proposition because it's not anything that's necessarily tied to any IP, so you could have a little bit more artistic representation to it, but also that it was a combo coaster. It was a it was a flume coaster. Yes. So the it, first of its kind it, too. It, and that that type of a ride system is interesting. Anything that's at the time I was more sort of coaster obsessed uh, than than sort of story and theming and stuff like the. The theming that I was used to was that sweet techno song that played at Riddler's Revenge. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he would listen to this. Um, but other than, other than that, the, it was they decided to make a dark ride combo coaster flume and with with the featuring the story of Atlantis. They wanted to go in a new direction because at this time too, you have to remember that Universal uh, was building another park and Disney was building more parks. They needed to up the ante. They needed to... uh, They needed to to show up and and they needed to show that they could dance. Yes. They needed to show up to the dance, weapon in hand. It was like knife to a gunfight. No, we also have a gun. Uh, That's to go with that. Okay, sure. 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 Um. And they knew what name they wanted for this attraction to be. They wanted it to be called Journey to Atlantis. Journey to Atlantis. Unfortunately, Universal already had that name copyrighted because they were planning their plans for Islands of Adventure. And SeaWorld was like, gosh, what do we do? What do we do? Well... With the Bush Gardens merger, not too far away from Orlando, Florida, was a Bush Gardens-owned park that was called uh, Adventure Islands or, or something to the effect. Like, literally the same words, just rearranged. And SeaWorld Creative was like, you know what? We're ready to go to bat. Let, let's see if we can uh, negotiate something here. So they... They semi-blackmailed Universal, but also kind of like invited them to the table like, hey, you can't do that because people are going to get confused and you're going to pull people away from our park. So what you're saying is that Bush Gardens and SeaWorld did something that wasn't necessarily <laughs> illegal, but is just kind of frowned upon yeah. in order to advance their business? I don't know. I don't know if that tracks. Shocking. Shocking. Uh, Universal was like, you know what? You're right. 
And SeaWorld's like, hey, 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 we have a solution for this. You don't have to change the name for your new park, but give us Journey to Atlantis because that's the name we want for this ride that we have deep, deep in the plans. And on top of everything else, SeaWorld's attraction was set to open the year before Islands of Adventure was going to open. So they already had done more work on prepping everything. So Universal's like, you know what? It's cool. Tradesies, it's fine. It's all good. Just a, just a bunch of legal glad handing, patting each other on the back sort of a thing. And as Aviator Superbat says in chat, just because it's unethical doesn't mean it's illegal. SeaWorld execs, too womp, true. Womp. The, the sad reality, uh, even though the, these creatives that put this ride together really, really tried to go all out. They, they really made a, a heavily themed a dark water coaster ride. Um, unfortunately, the effects never all work together at the same time. And so even right when the ride first opened, with all of the special effects, you couldn't follow the story because not everything was working. So the, the easiest way to, to talk about the story is um, Hermes... Hermes is trying to get is trying to get into Atlantis, right? No. Uh, so you uh, th- the story is that Atlantis has suddenly risen from the depths and people want to take tours. There is a local gentleman that's saying, "Don't go. Like bad things will happen." But of course, you're a tourist and you're not going to listen. You're going to go. So before you leave this little town, uh, the gentleman stops you in your boat and says, look, I know I can't stop you, but let me send someone to help you. I have Hermes here, Hermes the god, uh, in the form of a golden seahorse. seahorse. And little Hermes is supposed to make sure that nothing bad happens to you and, and make sure to kind of be your guide and protector. Um, some really cool special effects, some visuals. You get into Atlantis, and there is this beautiful, uh, seemingly mermaid who welcomes you in. She's inviting you. You see these beautiful sets uh, of a town uh, of Atlantis, but it's abandoned. There's nobody there. There's some cool water effects. Um, she starts to laugh kind of maniacally and you're like, hmm, this doesn't feel so good. So you're trying to leave. And Hermes is like, yeah, we should go. Suddenly she shapeshifts into an evil Gorgon siren. Yeah, so, and, and that's the thing is like the, the descriptions that we heard was that it was a siren, but she had like. When she shows her true form, she has snake hair, which is a trait of the Gorgons. Sirens had a di- had a different, like sirens were different than Gorgons were. It is ugh, already you're getting your mythology crossed. Kind of mixing things around. It, her hair was kind of tentacly, but it, it might snakes. be snakes. It was snakes and eyes glowing green. Um, and so so w- in, with Jason and the Argonauts, uh, bleh, Jason and the Argonauts, mm-hmm. where you see the slang of Medusa. It's glowing green eyes, snake hair. 
So already amongst the popular culture of of at least the like a little bit older and probably a little bit of the younger generation of the time, there's this knowledge of this is what a gorgon is, and then they go no, it's a siren, and you go no I'm not I'm not hearing that. So for for me seeing all of that I'm like well I'm already out. Um, well you're you're also very particular about that. Sure, stuff. but also like. It's muddled. You're we're muddled messaging. Yes. So it's it's a lot of it's a lot of talking while you're like on the coaster part and on the flume part, and then and you, you can't see, hear it on top of everything else. Oh, the audio is so bad. But and the uh, then you get through that first part, which is the first drop, and then there's just a lot of nothing. You're still again on the flume, but nothing is like. Not until you reach the next sort of like lift hill is it, oh, we got to get you out of here. And then the siren's like, no. Well, yeah, basically she says, are you leaving so soon? I think not. But it was still just like, where are you? Let's get some sort of a representation. It, It was... It's unfortunate because it's a it's the longest version of this ride with like the most hammered in story and they don't handle it very well because after this you start to see all of the like bedlam of Atlantis seemingly sinking into the water again and without any sort of hyperbole they're just playing Beetlejuice music Like the Beetlejuice thing, the dun, 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 while like she's laughing maniacally and there's like flash flashes of light and stuff's breaking and Debris is falling, like all sorts of ridiculousness up until the final fall. And you, you the first part was so like intricately done that they probably were like, all right, first room taken care of. What's the budget look like? And then the the last note was, like we can either license music or we can make a pretty cool second half of this ride. And they went, let's go for the music. And on top of all of that, clearly park operations had no interest in actually maintaining any of these effects. Because they weren't. They weren't. <laughs> they weren't they, maintained. They weren't maintained. They didn't do anything to fix it. Um, so people would get off of this ride and they'd be like, I'm confused. I don't know what happened. And not only that, but SeaWorld was in a contract to build two more of these things. They did go back and significantly change the setup. They still did like uh, a water coaster, a flume coaster. But the one that ended up in San Diego, um, they tried to make it much more succinct. And you actually go up in an elevator with like dolphins that are gonna help you and I I think Poseidon like threatens you basically Get and they're out like of here. and basically the dolphins are like we'll help you out but of course they didn't maintain that effect so either. That so that version of the ride was interesting because it was a rare it was a real rare type of dolphin that was that I think was involved in the mythology somehow yes. of Atlantis. So they brought real. They they tried to bring you in to the fantasy thing with some sort of an establishment of what the the fairy tales were about with something that you could actually link to. But then the dolphins started talking to you, and then Poseidon showed up. It was really an elongated version of like like a tidal wave ride, 
where it's yeah. you go up and you go down. But it was, okay, we have a little bit of a coaster spin around and then they lock you into the elevator and take you up to the ride. And it's an interesting ride system, but it's very much a cheap out, cop out sort of a sort of a thing where, all right, we have money for projectors and the set. No, well, well, no, not the set. There's but just no the, set the, the, well, at that the, point. The set, I mean, by like the main building, mm, the main gotcha. ruin yeah. that you that the coaster goes through, and that's it. And it it was very, it would like it was exciting to wait in line for and be like, oh, this is cool, different. And it, it like I was interested in the ride system. And then by the time we got off, we were like, we waited for that. <laughs> well, thankfully, we didn't wait too long. But it, it just again, we were really freaking confused. We were like, what what just happened? Like, couldn't understand the audio, at least was able to see cute dolphins for a second. You know, ultimately, when you exited through the gift shop and they had, you know, a couple of uh, aquariums connected, that was more enjoyable, <laughs> which is just, it is what it is. And just, finally, just they built something. Aquarium. They built one in San Antonio. And by that point, they were like, let's not do anything story-wise. And literally, they did nothing connected to it um and as time went on with these rides uh years and years and years passed finally when they did a refurbishment without warning anybody ahead of time they just they they cut the audio they They just just took it out they turned it off so now you're you're riding through some pretty stuff and that's kind of it you can if you squint you can see a big gorgon that's just kind of in the shadows to the left. Yeah, they turned her off. <laughs> yeah. So there's no, like, you're just, it's just kind of a nice, quote, nice float through some Grecian sets, but nothing fancy. Like, that's one of my, one of the issues that I take, well, I mean, one of the many issues I take with SeaWorld, but like, hey, let's stand toe to toe in Disney with Disney and Universal and create something that we're not going to upkeep. And part of the reason for that is because soon after that push for them to try to come to the dance and go toe-to-toe, things got bought out again. And suddenly the idea was, oh, well, this is really expensive to maintain and build, but you know what's cheap and easy to do? Just a bunch of coasters. Let's just build brand new coasters. We don't need to care about theming, whatever. And I mean, it's kind of worked for them, and they, they're they not really committed to doing much more than that. They're clearly not committed to taking care of the wildlife, which is unfortunate. Ooh. But uh, that that's kind of the story with them, and that'll probably be the last time we ever really talk about SeaWorld, unless, unless something... Unless there's like a big comeuppance, and then we feel comfortable going to those parks again unless you want to hear me rant about blackfish for two hours i I don't know subscribe (laughs) anyway that's done and buried okay i don't know where you're going next so Uh, well i i'm going over to islands of adventure adventure islands of adventure here we go i I would highly recommend if 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 you've been to islands of adventure or not Google Islands of Adventure TV special. There was a TV special. There was like a 45 minute to an hour TV special that they put on the USA network. That is sort of like a preview of the original Islands of Adventure. And the, a lot of the stuff 
is well, I say a lot. Some of the stuff isn't there anymore when it comes to the Lost Continent because some of the Lost Continent has been turned into the Wizarding World, and they have bless his heart the worst impression of um oh god I just blanked John Hammond yeah of, of Doctor Hammond from Jurassic Park the worst the uh, he he like was given. Uh, like a note sheet, all he saw was Scottish and was like, I could mess this up. And that's what it was. You know so, what? I think he was actually very committed. It's just that he, it was he did his best. He did his best. But, you know, they, they were pooling from Florida's uh, entertainment. Talent pool. Yeah. Uh, and I hope that uh, I hope that that was like the walk around actor. Because if that was the walk around actor, it was the as opposed to here's somebody that we need for a special. We need we need this to play on TV and really hit. No, it's probably the walk around guy. It's the walk around but guy. in Islands of Adventure, open nineteen ninety nine, there is one of the coolest ideas for a for an attraction, a an I was gonna say interactive, but a walkthrough show attraction based off of atlantis and poseidon and poseidon's clash with zeus his brother zeus and my only issue with the initial part of it was how they just oh by the way poseidon's evil and zeus is good where it's like have you ever read a book about zeus how is zeus the good one when it comes to to this like sure he was a bad guy in the odyssey but he Odysseus blinded his son who yeah. only had one eye. Like what a what a ter- you know what? F you. I'm going to I'm going to come back at you hard and I'm going to make it impossible for you to go home because you took my son's sight from me. So I'm going to take your sight away from you. Anyway, that's that's just <laughs> one of my initial problems with the first incarnation of Fu- the Poseidon's Fury uh escape from the lost city. Yes. Which is the title that Universal was like, all right, we'll, we'll do this. Um, the facade, the outside of this attraction is probably, arguably, my favorite out of any attraction anywhere in the world. I would say if, if you haven't been to Islands of Adventure, if you've been to Disneyland and you go on Indiana Jones, like that level of... We're in a real temple. This is a real temple to a real ancient deity. And there's a lot of like that it's sort so of big depth. It's huge. That's it's imagine that for an external temple. You can see the feet of a giant stone statue to to probably to allude to the Colossus of Rhodes. And there's like there's a giant trident in the ground. Like th- these are definitely ancient ruins you can't walk by and go those aren't ruins like there's no there's no way it's so rad and i think part of part of the reason why they haven't done anything with that attraction yet like to in terms of getting rid of it is because of how awesome like the the amount of pros still outweighs the amount of cons well also the best the most highly rated theme park restaurant is attached to all of that. And is themed and is similarly themed. So 
and it is pretty good. It's pretty we, good. We can uh, we can testify can to that. Can confirm. Yes. Um, and there's incredible water effects and fountains and waterfalls, and it's just it's awe inspiring. And I mean, definitely check out the special. It's on YouTube. It's easy to find, but. Not until you're physically there do you understand, like, how ginormous this is. Uh, like, it, it took my breath away. When Mark and I went to Islands of Adventure for the first time, we wanted to kind of go in with, with a, a fresh mind. We didn't do a ton of research. We just knew that we wanted to go and check it out. When we came to this area, our our jaws just, like, dropped onto the floor onto the ground we we couldn't i've never seen anything like it no and and me being a, a fan of greek mythology i knew that there was a poseidon attraction and you know they're they're never gonna just tell a story of poseidon it has to be it has to be something they have to do something to sweeten the pot and make yeah. people care <laughs> like there's a lot of stuff where, uh, that just doesn't make any sense. That that it, but it's still it's like, it's like mindless action movie type of fun, sort of a thing where it's like, oh, uh, major major bad man is the villain. Who knew? <laughs> like, okay, so <laughs> the whole reason why Universal was like, we we have to build this attraction to be what it is as a walkthrough. Because when, when you see the exterior, you assume that you're going to be on this incredible ride. And Especially it's not a escape. ride. Escape is in the title, and that makes it sound like, oh, we're, we're getting out of a place. So already you're, you're, you feel a little misled when, when you figure it out. But the whole reason why they put this together the way it is, is this company uh, put together this cool uh, water... Uh, cyclone um, tunnel. tunnel that that you can walk through and not get wet. So it's so m- th- it pushes the water out in a way to where it creates a full circle around you and you're walking through water. It's so cool. It's so freaking cool. And, and that effect alone, if they figured out a way to utilize that in some other way like the things that have to stay are the temple the tunnel all right that's it (laughs) like those 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 are the two big like this is one of the perfect attractions for florida like this is one of the most perfect florida attractions because it's essentially all indoors it takes a little while and it's water-based without getting you ridiculously wet yeah like you can you can get wet in the tunnel but it's more of like a like a little bit of that like when somebody like gets their fingers wet and does that to you like a lot but it's still it's that level of spritz and like you're along for this wild ride it's kind of personal because you have a a guide that is talking to you you know not necessarily like a person giving a, a soliloquy and aside to a large theater and it's sort of non reciprocal, but it's a little, it's a little bit more personal and it's, it's very cool that there's nothing really like it. It's so unique. Yeah. And the special, just overall, all of the special effects that they use 
really are impressive. As someone that uh, I identify as a theater person, hello, <laughs> and uh, this is a a walkthrough exploratory theater show that culminates in, into this uh, final place where literally uh, your surroundings change. Uh, Literally, you you end up magically in a different room. That's how I'm going to phrase it, because I don't want to spoil everything for you if, if you haven't seen it or and want to go experience this for yourselves. But especially going in, uh, not knowing what we were going to experience, I was blown away. Um, really fantastic special effects. Uh Stuff that was completely innovative for its time. Part of Islands of Adventure's uh, mantra was to be the most innovative, uh, technologically advanced theme park that had ever debuted. And it was. It really was. At one point. It was at one point. Um, That being said, this attraction uh, immediately had some problems um some people loved it but the way the attraction ended people were confused they didn't know if the actual walkthrough had actually ended why were they there people had more questions (laughs) after they left people had more questions people thought oh wow this is a big show for me to get on a ride where's the ride why is that an exit sign so they immediately changed despite spending the money on jeremy irons to play the role of Poseidon. And, oh my gosh, he does an incredible vocal performance. Very, very cool. And he was very very in at the time. Um, and it was, a, it was a great decision. But within a couple of months, they just whoop, threw it out. And, like, <laughs> we already spent our budget on him. We're not going to get him back. It was like a Dinklebot situation for those of you who played Destiny. Don't worry about it. Um, but And keep in mind, too, after everything that Universal had to go through in interactions with SeaWorld, they already... They had originally planned for part of this to be a ride. Like you were originally supposed to like bury through like a giant drill to go down to the center of the earth and like all of this other stuff. They they had several rides placed within, but in between SeaWorld's plans for Journey to Atlantis and then realizing that they kind of had to change things so that it wasn't too similar and that they could do something different and then running out of money and kind of having to change these story points very late into production uh, was a problem. And I, I don't fault any of the original creators. Um, there, there was a very passionate uh, lady that was in charge of the Lost Continent and she was literally thrown into trying to finish up the show right before the park was going to open. They were doing the best that they could, but obviously it wasn't working. So they hired uh, Gary Goddard. Gary Goddard, the guy who directed the Masters of the Universe film. Which uh, is a very important thing for you to know if you're going to see this attraction as it now there's a lot, stands. There's a lot of similarities that's it yeah (laughs) but the the, one of the cool things about it is that they used the temple as the backdrop for a an allura um or or no i'm 
Ugh, I'm getting my my DreamWorks with she with Shira, and so it's kind of funny that the guy who directed the thing also directed the He-Man movie, and so Shira is a th- yeah. It that's that's kind of a fun little thing, but it's it's I, I like this ride a lot. I like this. I say ride. I like this attraction a lot, and and it's something that I've been willing to sort of forego the this doesn't make sense of it all to just kind of enjoy. And one of the last times we went, it it was just nice to even even waiting in line the queue is like the a light version of the temple you get some storytelling yeah. in and around the queue but it's still like oh we're indoors in a temple setting it's very cool in here and then the experience starts it's like 20 25 minutes on top of that and it's it's fine it's great what a wonderful experience to like get to escape the heat I think that's a big part of how well certain attractions do. Like, if it's one thing if a ride has like no weight to get on and off, but if it's a long wait, the ride and doesn't have a lot of theming, and it's a very short ride, and you're not left with any sort of a lasting impression, it's sort of like the old the the wrestling ad- adage: if you care, they got you. You may not like it, you may love it, but if you just leave indifferent, nah. That then that's not something worth talking about because people still talk about bad rides. Oh yeah, like us, like us. But this this attraction, no matter how you feel about it, it leaves a lasting impression. Um, my my biggest uh, weirdness related to this new version, they got rid of Zeus. They made Poseidon the protagonist, which I don't have a problem with. I think that. That's a good move. Agreed. Um, Universal would not let Gary Goddard change the title of the attraction. Uh, that was not deemed to be within the budget. Um, they would have had to change the signage, which is very fancy with those ruins. At least that's what I figure is the biggest thing. Probably they also kind of wanted to be under the radar with these changes. Mm-hmm. Um so the uh, antagonist became oh, wait, a high are we, are we, are priest. Because you said you didn't want to talk about a lot about the thing so that people could experience it for the first time. Uh, That's why I was being very general as well. That's fair. Okay, I won't say specifically, but the name of the antagonist is very cheesy. Yeah, that's why I was like, his Colonel, design. Colonel Badman's the, the villain? His design is very cheesy, and uh, unfortunately, because suddenly the green screen and and projections that had been part of the original attraction, well, the animation, all of that needed to be reshot and redeveloped. So suddenly, while both are cheesy in their own ways, especially by today's standards. Um, I think visually I prefer the original to that, but obviously they had to change the story. So like it is what it is. You you have to contrast a couple of things. Overall, the changes uh, seem to improve guest satisfaction uh, and feedback. So Universal's like, all right, great. Like the, the changes did what they were supposed to do. Um, for me, it's still not up to par with what it should be however out of everything that we have talked about obviously um this has been uh, kind of the most successful but 
everyone's kind of sucked with how they've tried to tackle the Atlantis story. And even this isn't the Atlantis story. This is Atlantis as a set piece. Yes. And while uh, Escape from Atlantis, right? SeaWorld, Escape from Atlantis? A Journey to Atlantis. Journey to Atlantis. When we're talking about the same thing a lot. Escape from the Lost City. Escape from the Lost City of the Journey to the Atlesian Coast. Um, (laughs) It's... Like, at least they they tried a little bit. At least you got a sense of what Atlantis might have looked like. Not necessarily what it was, because it was supposed to be this big utopia, almost like a... If for, again, for you gamers out there, like a rapture or a Columbia sort of a thing where it's all of the, like all of the best, the best of us were, were all put together, but due to their hubris, they, they were lost to the world. Some like something that encapsulates the story hasn't happened yet. And, and it, it again, being one of those public domain type of stories, that's, I figure that's part of the reason why Universal went for it for Islands of Adventure. Uh, help for, them save money. Help them save money by not doing an IP when they were, the park is literally an IP park. One of the first straight up IP parks. Uh, well, I guess Universal but too. Lost Continent was the coolest place mm-hmm. to open out of all of the other lands. Merlin, Sinbad, and Poseidon. It was uh, Greeks, pirates, and wizards. Like, what the hell? That's... And dragons. And dragons. Um, So, it's sad that the Lost Continent, as it is today, doesn't have as much of that mythos to it. But I I hope that there there can be... There can be a park... What if there was... I know this isn't isn't this episode, but let's get a theme park called Pantheon. And each realm is uh each realm is a different pantheon of gods so you get norse theming in one greek theming in another oh uh, that would be wild yeah uh hindu theming in another african theming in another and it's the it's the exploration of these stories and you get to live in a world of myth so like tm 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 but uh that like because Ultimately, all this stuff is becoming IP, and as much as I talked about the possibility of uh, of Poseidon becoming something Legend of Zelda or another water franchise for, like that's the I keep hearing that that that's been a rumor for a really long time, but that doesn't. But they still haven't done it. No, I am hoping I, I don't, it doesn't entirely fit for me either. I I am truly hoping that. Universal one day instead of replacing it with some intellectual property that they that they make a, a truly immersive dark ride use similar special effects still use that water tunnel because it is so freaking cool the only thing that changes is and this may be unpopular to some people you get rid of Sinbad and you turn all of the land from Sinbad up to Poseidon into the ride. Well, I think they can. I mean, Sinbad is closed now. Well, that, it, that 
show isn't coming back. It's gone. So you take the, all of that area yeah. and you make that into the ride. And Poseidon still happens, but the exit is more to a, a specific area. Is more to like sort of sort of to what the original Atlantis idea was, where you get off the ride and then there's something else that you can do and then you can go. Yeah. So what if it's now, boom, we have escaped from this particular temple, but now we're in Atlantis. I would love to actually explore Atlantis. That would be incredible. Be rad as hell. And also an easy play area for kids i mean (laughs) that's just more indoors more indoors more water features to say cool it would be lovely let's get more seahorses let's get more dolphins yeah it's just like like patrick on spongebob the the seahorse no 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 i'm just saying as as an example as (laughs) as an example where it's just his dream is just him riding on the seahorse and it's just a bunch of those. I know I know you want SpongeBob. So I do, but it wouldn't be in Atlantis. Yeah. That we already got that in the uh, video game release Atlantis Square Pantis. So <laughs> No, it was real. One hundred percent a real game. Oh man. With uh, with Neptune wow. uh, featured in it as well. Um but other than that, was this the, this wasn't the last like most recent ex uh, uh, uh expression of Atlantis, was it? Was that the most recent attraction? 1999 was the last... Hello? Was the last... It's my hair. Sorry. Oh, it's fine. Was the, <laughs> the last expression of Atlantis as an idea. At least for the U.S. major theme parks. So and so I, that's what I, I wanted to ask is Tokyo Disney Sea has at least an indoor underwater thing based yes. on Atlantica, which isn't... An- specifically atlantis but then there's also journey to the center of the earth journey to the center of the earth and they actually have a twenty thousand leagues under the sea attraction so uh this opened actually after both submarine voyage and twenty thousand leagues under the sea uh in the u.s disney parks had closed um you still get to explore you you're in a more of a compact sort of like square mini submarine you're able to look uh to both sides and in front uh giant size portholes uh i believe about four to six people can fit in one of these uh ride vehicles at a time and you're also given a flashlight to kind of like search around the sets the only thing that's primarily different is that you are never actually underwater. Yeah. So all of these sets are perfectly dry. Um, it's they smart are to interactive. Me. And uh, between the portholes, they actually fill it with water and bubbles to simulate the effect that you're underwater. That's working smart to me because there's yes. so much, like Disney's, as, as you mentioned, the history with the submarine tech of the first lagoon. You can't, you gotta do something that's safe for your workers, safe for your guests. And if, if you could be immersed like you are in that ride, I then good, like mission accomplished. If that allows you to do more, like the, the more you can do to not be hampered and, and held down by technology, how can you not go for that? Sure. I mean, for me, I still love 
the the whole idea of actually being in a submarine and actually being underwater that that's part of the fun from the very beginning um and the submarines did actually finally get revived at disneyland um though atlantis bombed at the box office and atlantis did not get revived in this new version of the subs um it's now focused on finding nemo it's Honestly, in, in my opinion, it, it is a significantly lesser version than what was originally there before. But thankfully, uh, because Imagineering was able to point out to Bob Iger, who had recently uh, become the head of the Disney company with Disneyland's 50th on the way, they were able to point out, hey, pretty much uh, Tomorrowland's dead. Most of these rides are getting refurbished. That's when Space Mountain was getting its heavy refurb that it needed the people mover tracks were you know abandoned um and they were like hey all of these news crews are going to be coming in may and they're going to look at tomorrowland and see that there's literally nothing going on so bob Iger approved a budget and they were able to do something um there's still talks and rumors that they'll get rid of it, uh, supposedly. Um, I don't know if it's true or not. Some people are saying that the lagoon is still leaking. There was, at least at some point, between um, the subs originally being closed and being turned over to Finding Nemo, there was a sinkhole uh, behind the lagoon, all sorts of problems. Yeah, like they they were trying to future proof some of the stuff. Like they made a lot of the set pieces, the actual underwater set pieces, out of sustainable materials that didn't necessarily fade. Like a lot of like sea glass and and yeah, they they made a special sort of paint. It still isn't per se as bright as when the ride first opened, but it's been able to hold up better in the California sun. Yeah, it's, it's lasted a lot longer without any sort of major draining, repaint, dr- drain, repaint. And though, like, I was always kind of, I wasn't necessarily sad. I always thought it was fine. But then when we visited the seas with Nemo and friends and went on the Nemo attraction, and it essentially being the same ride, but there's no sense of immersion like it's just a it's just a dark ride you're just it's just set pieces against a black wall at least you're underwater like the illusion of being underwater exists in california yeah exactly and i feel like that's still very special um the subs are still holding up they've still got probably a good like 20 years on them that they could be going around. That's actually one of the reasons why they were saved in the first place uh, when things were being evaluated. Uh, Marty Scalar had actually had them surveyed, and at the time it was said, yeah, these can last another 50 years. So I think it'd be it's a good idea to start throwing ideas around now so that by the time it's actually, okay, we've got 10 years left, <laughs> let's start enacting on some of these some of these designs some of these ideas and so coming to the end of this atlantis adventure what what park do you think has the the best potential to create a 
an Atlantesian experience to your liking? I feel like... Atlantisnal? If it's going to happen, it's either going to be at Islands of Adventure, where uh, Poseidon's Fury is, or it's going to happen at Disneyland. However, I feel that... I, I give universal more room for potential to take that on as opposed to disney because the way disney is being run right now i don't necessarily trust them to actually go ahead and uh, do something original and imaginative um They've been so focused on replacing uh, original concepts and ideas and just IP after IP after IP where it's just too much in your face. But uh, it looks like you might have an idea. Yeah, I just realized that they bought an IP that they can use that can keep young people coming in uh, that I think could be either comparable or combative to The Wizarding Boy. Oh. And that's Percy Jackson. Oh. Disney owns Percy Jackson now. They're working on new Percy Jackson things. And if I remember correctly, and I this is somebody with no knowledge of the IP, Percy Jackson is the son of Poseidon or something in that because Poseidon's trident is is I remember it featured in like the movie posters or something like that. And Atlantis is a place that they go to. So or like in one of the books or in one of the stories whatever. So there's there's that could be a place where their newly acquired IP can start to pay them back. Is if, all right, we know that we did a bad movie and then a sequel to that bad movie for some reason, but here's a palate cleanser. <laughs> Percy Jackson. So there's an opportunity. How they would utilize that, I don't know. Yeah. Where that would go, I don't know. Because... I don't think it would or should go in any Magic Kingdom park. Interesting. So other than that, so what? So we have the sea. Mm-hmm. What? So what if the close? Hmm, hmm. You're referring to Epcot, correct? Right now, I'm so right now I'm referring to Epcot, but just in general, mm-hmm. we have the sea. Yes. What if we get? a soft push through of beastly kingdom and we instead of it being medieval it's ancient so it's sphinx it's uh pegasi it's that and it's greece or atlantis or this or whatever and it goes in animal kingdom huh and that you know what? That that was connected to the original concepts, too. They were going to have a lot of Greek architecture and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm all for that, actually. Now, I do know that there are some people in our lives that are pretty fervent fans of the Percy Jackson franchise. And instead of reaching out to them directly, if they have reached this part of this episode... <laughs> please reach out to us. <laughs> it's a test. But that, I th- I think they, that could be something that they could yeah, do. That would be, that would be cool to see. Man, I'm an, I'm an idea guy. 
<laughs> anything past that oh. but <laughs> i'm i'm the world's muse use me um but is there like that's that's the only thing that i can think of in terms of connecting the dots it's kind of an ip it fits into an existing land or an existing spot of land uh, and unless it could hmm. Last in one of our previous episodes, we were talking about what they do with and with Epic Universe if they start to distribute the currently imagined lands for that. What if what if it's something like that? What if, what if there's sort of a a Greek pantheon type I'd of area? I'd love that. Oh yeah. my gosh, I would love that. Honestly, for everybody. I hope I hope everybody tries to take on Atlantis again. Yeah, it's it's hopeful. And that's something that we need. Hope, yes. Hope would be lovely mm. at this time. <laughs> um, was there any any other nugget of information you wanted to leave our users, our, our listeners with? I saw, I looked at my Tron game and said users. I don't know what. <laughs> so that's where my mind is. Um. One thing to keep in mind too about Poseidon's Fury, it's not open right now. Mm. Um, if you did want to go out and visit it. Um, it. It was one of the attractions that Universal has temporarily closed down, um, partially to save costs. Um, some people are terrified that that means it's not going to reopen again. I don't think that that's necessarily the case, honestly. Um, but uh, if you are concerned, make sure to give a shout out to Universal. Actually, they're very active on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Tweet at them. <laughs> tweet at them. Tell them you miss Poseidon and his fury, and uh, that that you'd like to go visit Atlantis. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't get rid of Poseidon. <laughs> he'll, he'll he'll leave you on the sea for like 30, 40 years. It's the Odyssey. Anyway, tweet, 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 tweet at us. Uh, thank you, thank you for listening yeah. to this episode of Party of Two. If you've joined us live, thank you for joining us live. We appreciate the audience and and giving us a little bit of feedback and commenting on what we're talking about. Make sure to head over to twitch.tv slash markbedonica. Give us a follow so you'll know anytime we go live. You'll also know when I go live with my variety of different gaming streams, but also. If you want to support the show, uh, leave us a subscription on Twitch, which uh, right now it's September while we're recording this. And Woo-woo. if you haven't subscribed to the twitch.tv slash markbudonica account yet, channel yet, uh, you get a little bit of a, a, of a bonus. Like the more months you subscribe, the more money you get off of your subscription. But that goes to us and that helps support the show. Um, also, you can head over to our T Public, slash party of two, where you can get a variety of different designs of merchandise. You can get them on masks now, which is pretty cool. Um, t shirts, uh, pillows, notebooks, stickers, things of that nature. Um, but you could also follow us on Twitter at our respective accounts, Andrea. <laughs> you can find me at Dole Whip Drea on Twitter. And you can find me at Mark B. Donica on Twitter. Twitter and you can also follow the show at partyof2pod.com that's where you'll know what we're talking about each week first so make sure to follow us there on Twitter and we also retweet random memes and 
things of that nature. So Or thank- create our own. Or create our own. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Party of Two Pod. We will see you on the next ride.